Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Work Happy, the new podcast all about workplace happiness brought to you by WorkLife with me, journalist Angelica Malin. This season, we're going on a journey to dig deep into the secrets of workplace happiness with advice from experts, entrepreneurs and coaches in the field. This week, I'm joined by Rita Trahan, global HR strategist, as we chat about how company performance, productivity and happiness are linked. episode we are talking about transformational change in businesses in yourself in your work life and I'm joined by an expert in the field Rita Trahan thank you so much for joining me delighted to be with you thank you can you tell us a little bit about your company dare and what you do well the company dare the name itself I think really personifies what the company is about because it's really about daring companies and people to believe about what's possible and I think when we think about the business world today that is under so much disruption and change it's companies that are really willing to dare to be different and to try and find their uniqueness um, that are really going to be successful. So that's where the name came from. And it works with companies that are either undergoing some form of transformation, are trying to find the next generation of leaders within their organisation and really trying to understand what drives company culture because I'm a big believer that the culture of a company is what drives the success of a company in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you start it? What was your career history up until that point that inspired you to start it? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. My husband said I had a midlife crisis. I said, uh, I think I found my calling, which was I'd always been in the, the human resource field. Um, surprising, really, because really, if you ask most people how they start their career in human resource, most people tend to fall into it. Mm. Uh, I was always really interested in business. My parents had of business um, when I was growing up. So I worked in a business environment from the age of six, as I remind my parents, um, on many, many occasions. And I felt that HR was a way to really touch every part of the business. So I started my career, as many people do, many years ago as a graduate trainee and got to experience all the different sides of human resources and loved the piece that was around transformation and change. Mm. Got to work with some global companies. So I've worked in... Uh, I think every continent, although somebody did say to me, I haven't worked in Antarctica, so, um, but I've been around the world mm. um, and 
and have worked with people and organisations globally, which has seen a lot of change over the years that I've been working. Uh, I hit a point after managing five transformations, I think, in the space of seven years mm-hmm. for a large global corporation. So, you know what? I really think that I could do something to help transform how HR is perceived mm-hmm. by companies today because mm-hmm. it doesn't have a really great image. Uh, it tends to be very transactional. When you ask people about HR, they say, oh, you're responsible for making sure my paycheck gets there or you're responsible for making sure that recruitment gets done. And I'm like, no, actually, it's much more than that. Mm-hmm. It's really about the lifeline, uh, lifeblood of a company. So I decided to um, leave the corporate world, do some mentoring of chief HR officers mm-hmm. globally to help them and share my experience, and then sort of embarked on a mission or a passion to really change the function of HR by going into practice and working with organisations to not only help them see what their HR functions should be capable of, but how they can really transform and get the best out of their people that they can. So it's a bigger calling, I think, to say there's so much talent and there's so much capability in companies today. There are ways to help them to be as successful as they can. Mm. And sometimes that comes from having just a very independent view. So so I've been lucky enough to work with many CEOs and senior professionals and lots of young emerging talent um, as well and just see that flourish. And I imagine that must have needed a bit of a transformation from you as well, going from a big corporate environment to suddenly going off on your own, becoming a, a consultant, a mentor. Um, that must have been quite a big transformation as well. I'm smiling. If the viewers could, like if the listeners could see this, they'd see that I'm smiling because it's a- absolutely true. Having worked in the big corporate world, one of my first blog articles was called A Slice of Apple because I suddenly had left this whole IT infrastructure behind. Whereas if something went wrong with my IT or I needed some help with something, I would literally just take it to the IT team and say, guys, can you help help me out like I'm struggling with this to trying to set up my own infrastructure was Mm. a real challenge and I suddenly realized just how much work goes into that and then I had to deal with the fact that I'd been used to working with so many people and having a big team around me that it was just suddenly me Mm. and I was like oh who do I talk to today and I realized that uh, I needed to do a lot of things around transforming myself including going out much more and networking although I did quite a lot of networking. I guess most of my time was working internally rather than recognising the importance of networking externally Mm. as well. So there was transformations on a personal perspective of self-management and self-discipline. There was transformation in understanding the importance of brand and personal brand and how to take that forward when you didn't have a big corporate structure behind you. Um, And there was transformation in just being really clear about what my business ambition and mission was about mm. and th- and that's evolved in, since I started um, my own business a mm. few years ago. You know, it, it's constantly evolving and changing which is what good businesses do. They mm. evolve and change and adapt I think you time. have to work a lot more on yourself um, when you want to launch a venture or, or be a consultant or something because you don't have that big network around you of people and so you, your, your self-confidence has to be higher. You have to really believe in what you're doing. You have to give yourself pet talks and if you can't work on yourself then, it, then the idea 
idea won't happen. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you see a lot of women biz- women business owners today. It's, you know, it's coming up to International Women's Week, you know, Women's Day on March the 8th. And you see that more and more women are going out into their and setting up their own businesses mm. because they are realising that to be successful sometimes, it's being your own boss. But that does take a lot of determination. And you've got to be able to, like, recover from setbacks and you have to be willing to test yourself and and I think the biggest thing is learn from failures you know I've had failures in the corporate world mistakes but it's learning from those things and saying okay well what did I learn what would I do differently and I think that's a big part of of the discipline of running a business whether it's your own business or a corporate business those things are so just so important Mm, yeah absolutely on the topic of change what are some of the things you see when you go into these businesses and you consult with them uh, about bringing about change what steps do individuals need to take to bring about change the first thing I think is be really clear about what is what problem is the change trying to solve. Normally there's a problem or an, an ambition that a change is trying to bring about. So I spend a lot of time with the senior leadership team often saying, what is it that you really, really want to achieve? Mm. You know, is it a problem that you're trying to solve? And if it is a problem that you're trying to solve, let's make sure we're solving the right problem. Because too often people start thinking that the problem's A when actually the problem's C because they haven't really peeled it back almost like an onion like you know when you peel back the layers to say what's really at the heart Mm. of what you're trying to solve so let's be clear about that so that you can get the change that you want the second is if it's around something that that are trying to transform something for a bigger mission or a bigger purpose because they've got a new idea or something some innovation that they're trying to bring about then I always say to them let's be clear about the impact of that on the people and how you bring people along the journey Mm. I talk a lot about storytelling if you're gonna try and bring um, a big corporate organization forward tell the story about where you started from and where it is you're going and don't tell it once constantly tell it and involve lots and lots of people at all different levels because the best ideas come from the people that are doing the work and the best success around transformation and change is when you really harness the passion around it mm. and that people really believe in it and those are some, come some of the tips that I often talk about sometimes I have to hammer them home yeah, a lot I can imagine I can imagine do you think what, what do you think it is that holds people back is it fear of, of change yes it's often it, you're asking people often associate change with losing something mm. when actually change is often about putting putting new things on about experiencing renewal and different things and so I think sometimes it's fear because people often think well if it's change what does that mean for me does that mean that my job's going to change is my job not going to be here anymore what if I don't like the change what do I do around that sometimes it's just because people haven't articulated what the change is and where they're trying to go so if people don't understand it it's very difficult to rally people around it because they're kind of in the in limbo and then what, what often happens is people start to make up what they think the change is going to be and you know it may be false information it may be limited information it might just be filling in the blanks mm. so there are lots of reasons why changes aren't successful Um, and sometimes I often draw for um, business leaders the classic change curve if if people have seen it it starts with people being in this state of denial if I ignore it it will go away 
Mm. If I don't like the change, I'll deny it. It'll go away. And then sometimes you see people experience anger. Like, why is this happening? Why are we changing? I'm not happy about this. I don't want it. To getting to almost like a level of acceptance where people go, okay, this change isn't going anywhere. So... I've got to accept it and move on with it to finally, hopefully, you get to the new beginnings. Yeah. What most organisations do is that the leadership starts working on the change many, many months before it gets sort of articulated yeah. to people in the organisation. And so you often hear of change programmes, and I've been um, part of with this many times, where they say, it's not working, Rita. We've been implementing this change programme for six months, and people aren't getting it. They're just not on board with it. And I say, guys, step back. You know, you've had six months to go through these cycles. And by the way, it's not a linear cycle through the kind of denial acceptance. And you're at this new beginning already. But most people are still at this stage of denial. So before you start saying, let's implement version 2.2, the new improved version, stick with it. And that's really important that that sometimes organisations don't stick with the change long enough Mm. and think that they need to adapt it and change it again rather than saying it takes time Mm. change doesn't happen overnight Mm. and you have to be willing to see it through to the end and constantly be reworking it Mm. and today that often means to be honest that if it isn't working you you pivot you change and you say okay well what should we do that's slightly different and take people with you as you're thinking that through. Mm, I think it's really interesting what you said about the fear of it because I think what often happens is there's no communication from high up to people who work for a company and they don't understand what's going on and then like you said there's rumours or or fake news and it's the fear that that really gets in the heart of the organisation and then you lose your trust in your leadership and that's problematic. It's it's really problematic and one of the biggest issues in companies are facing today is the lack of trust, whether that's lack of trust the employees Mm. have or even customers have in businesses today Mm. so you have to be able to build trust and you can only do that if you get to the right cultural understanding of what where you are today so I do often say to companies as you're embarking on change let's really understand where the culture is today Mm. let's do a diagnostic where we can actually understand what's what's working really well in your organization and what isn't and ask the people what they really think about things because the best ideas will come from the people and you will only get a true reflection of what's really happening in the organization by trusting enough to gather the data. Mm. I've often done diagnostics with people where where, um, before we've begun a change initiative, we've done a kind of an interview and a diagnostic and then we get the results back. And the senior leadership team will say to me, tell me what the results say. I said, no, I'm not going to show them to you first. I'm going to go around and do some focus groups with the people in the organisation and say, here are the results. Do you think that they're a true reflection of what the organisation is? What's an aha moment for you with these results? What do you think we should reinforce to the senior leadership when they see them? And some of them are horrified. They're like, what do you mean you're going to show it to everybody in the organisation and we won't have seen it? I said, that's about trust. If you really want to know what the answers are, most companies think that the senior leadership team has to see them first and almost sanitise them so that they can go out with the messages that they think are okay to give to their employees. And I say, no, don't do it like that. Actually share it warts and all all the good stuff yeah and you know let's mm. let's have a rah-rah moment about those and the stuff that isn't so good 
face it. Like, mm. look in the mirror. Sometimes the image isn't very pretty, but it's a reality. Mm. And that's a, the best way I find that culture changes and transformations work when you can get into the heart of really looking at that. And looking at the whole thing. I think yeah. it's also quite British as well. It's like not wanting to address things, pushing them under the carpet, and not wanting to talk about problems with people that you that work for you. We'd rather just put on a stiff upper lip and get on with it. And that leads to really big issues because you're just not, you're not addressing problems. Yeah, and I think that's true too, right? And we're seeing that uh, manifest itself in lots of different ways um, in the organisation where, where, you know, you're seeing it in the news today where people are not being prepared to speak out about things that they're seeing in organisations, mm. whether that's discrimination, whether that's harassment, whether that's mental well-being. Mm. Um, and that's because there isn't necessarily a level of trust to create this open environment where it's a two-way environment that you are you are really encouraging people to share and be open and transparent. Mm. That's tough. Mm. It's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't it's come naturally to, to a lot of people. Yeah. It doesn't come naturally for sure. On on workplace happiness, what have you um, found to be some of the secrets for creating a happy workplace? So let me tell you, my first impression of walking into this building today was what a happy place is, simply by the impression that you get when you walk into the reception area. It's bright, it's light, it's mm. got lots of greenery in it, which, by the way, has been shown to, to, to boost happiness hormones, if yeah. you like. Um, and there's dogs. And it's just, it just had a sense of a real um, relaxed but happy feeling. Mm. And I often sort of judge the culture of an organisation by when I walk in the door, by what, what it feels like, how I'm greeted, but also just like what, what the environment is around. And so this, to me, is a great example. Sadly, the, the listeners can't see it, but, <laughs> but there's lots of open space. People can kind of work where they want. Mm. There's, you can go have a coffee. It just... I think all of those things almost give people like a, it's like liberation. Yeah. It's freedom. It's not, doesn't feel rigid. It doesn't feel structured. So I think that's one of the things. Create a, an office environment that has flex. People like to work in different ways. You know, I like to be in a big open space so I can see what's going around. Other people say, you know what, I'd like some quiet time. I just want to be in a space where I can just go and work on my own. Mm. If you can create workspaces that allow people for their natural styles to enable them to work best, that's a great way to, to mm. sort of create happiness. I think the other things to do is to really think about what's important to your employees. You've got diverse generations working together that want different things mm. from their work environment. And so paying attention to that and saying, well, what's really important that's going to make, let's face it, where most of us spend a lot of our work life uh, is at work, mm. right? Most of our life, in fact, is spent at work versus being at home. Yeah. So if you're going to be spending most of your time there, let's make it so that it, it makes people feel like they want to come to work. You know, lots of companies are offering. In fact, I was talking to some some people from from the team here, and I said, um, "What do you like about working here?" And I said, "Right, oh, it's great. Like we get, you know, it's a real kind of collegial atmosphere. Um, we get to do fitness things. We get we get the benefits that our members get. We can have do yoga if we want. So just things like that. Mm, yeah. They personify the important things." Mm. that employees look for. I just asked a question to try and get a sense of that. I think those things are important. Mm. Actually, thinking about mental and physical well-being is something that companies need to spend a lot more 
time and attention um, on. But I think that helps. And I think uh, the other thing is like asking people for their ideas. People really ultimately want to feel valued for what they do. So trying to give people the flex to stretch their minds with ideas and input, I think that creates a happy workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And what about work culture? How do you create a good work culture between people and and between senior level and perhaps junior people? Uh, One is I think senior leadership needs to be really visible. So I will give you a real life example. Uh, In my previous couple of companies ago, uh, all the senior leadership sat on the top floor uh, in the office building and then there were about six other floors and I would often get in and I refused to do that for a couple of years and I said no I'm quite happy sitting on the floor that I'm at even though I'm on the senior leadership because I get to walk around I get to talk to people and so uh, eventually I would often go up to the the top floor and I'd say guys let's get in the elevator I'll tell you what you know if you don't press the ground floor button and you hit button A you actually get out and you know, that's where the finance team is. Should we have a wander around and say hello? And they would look at me as though I'd like, you know, what's she on? She's on one of her crazy <laughs> missions again. But the, the the real point is that leadership needs to be visible. Mm. So I think that creates a good workplace culture. If, if the leadership actually engages and talks to uh, the people in the organisation and makes time for it, not as lip service, but actually spends time talking to people, getting to know what they're doing to show that you really care. I think that um, is really important. In today's workplace as well, I, I think different ways of working, the, the old kind of top-down hierarchical structures... Mm. They're going. Mm. You know, people are collaborating on, on with cross-functional teams, working across boundaries, and that's so important if we're going to be agile and quick to adapt to changes in the environment. Mm. So I think trying to find some cross-pollination is a really good way to create a good workplace culture. And what about flexible working? Have you worked with any companies yeah. that brought in flexible working? Yeah, and I think and that has to start from the top as well. So I, I often say to companies that have great grandiose flexible working statements. Um, How many of you in the senior leadership team uh, are going home early, maybe, or coming in late, Mm. or doing things that demonstrate that flexible working isn't just a statement, it's something that you practice as well, Mm. and that, that you model, because we need role models to manage that. I think having um, time where you say switch off. So a lot of companies say after six o'clock, please switch off your mobile phones. Don't respond to emails because you need some downtime. So there are different things that you can do to help people also generate that concept of flexible working. And and that's important today. Mm. I think we're moving into a new age with all of this that the that kind of burnout culture of nose to the grind you've got to work super super hard and super late and get takeaways in the office like I just don't feel like that's the way things are going anymore and oh, there's so much more awareness for mental health for well-being looking after employees that I really hope that things will move towards a lot of a, a more kind environment that said I work in lifestyle journalism and my industry is all about that whereas I have friends who are lawyers or you know in mm-hmm. really corporate jobs and they're still working incredibly hard and late and their companies don't care so much so 
I do wonder whether we talk about mental health in a slightly tokenistic way and whether we'll actually see meaningful change there yet. Yeah, I think we're really in the early days of it in the UK. I think we're, we are about, in terms of companies that have sort of mental well-being programmes in place, I think we're about 9% compared to the worldwide average of 22%. So we're pretty low down. I think we were like the fifth worst country um, in terms of stress-related activities or you know illnesses within the business world today so that that tells you something i do think that companies are becoming more and more aware of it um, for a number of reasons one is that they're recognizing the impact of lost productivity and lost productivity is actually performance so you know bottom line is this is affecting the company's bottom line and that's always important Two, I think there's a talent recognition to this that people now have choices and that they will make a choice about the company that they want to work for. And that means, are you paying enough attention to not just the kind of the surroundings, but the actual culture itself, which values both physical and mental well-being? And Mm. so I think that there is much more attention being paid to that. Mm. I worked for a company where they had a culture that that would have... um, or a saying called, are you okay? Which would be just go and ask somebody. If you look at somebody and they just don't seem right, just go up to them and say, are you okay? Because that would be a signal to say, I care. I just want to know. I'm not trying to pry, but I'm just concerned. Maybe you're working too many hours or I haven't seen you take a break for lunch or something doesn't seem right in terms of how you're working. Mm. And just having that kind of culture... I think makes a difference. Hmm. I agree. I agree. Just asking. Yeah. Just asking the question. Um, on your on a personal level, um, what have you found to help manage your stress um, to make yourself happier and more inspired for work? Yeah. So I like to do I like to do some physical things. I do um, some Pilates and uh, some meditation. I find that that's quite good. Uh, I confess, I am a bit of a work junkie so I really have to apply discipline to be in a way from Mm. work because that's where my energy comes from but I realise that my energy is only as good when I've also rested Mm. so I like to try and do things at the weekend with my husband so that you know I'm not working at all hours and at the weekend and seeing friends and family um, and just doing something new whether that's trying out a new restaurant or going to see a show or even just sitting and doing nothing even sitting and doing nothing sometimes is just like wow that's really cool that's really nice that I'm not having to engage my brain and I can just sit and you know ponder the world yeah, yeah just hang out and that, so I think um, those are kinds of things that I do and sometimes when I know that I'm pushing the limits mm. I stop Mm. What does pushing the limit feel like uh, to you? uh, I will start to get tired and I will know that I've not got enough sleep and I go, right, okay, stop. Mm. Um, I will tell you a true story about uh, working uh, again and my own personal experience is when I hit a point where I had been working solidly for so long, I suddenly realised that my brain just wasn't functioning the way it should. And so I said, you know what, I've got to stop. So I went to the CEO and CEO, I said, I've got to take a, a week or so off. And he said, well, what do you want to tell people? So I said, well, we have a great mental health program. I'd like to tell them that I'm taking time off my own mental health. And then, so I wrote, and he said, are you sure you want to do that? And I said, yeah, I really believe it's a value we feel really strongly about. And as a senior exec, I want to be able to say to people, you know, it's okay to say I need 
a break. And so I wrote an email and I said, you know, sometimes you often think if I can just get round this corner, if I can just get this piece of work done, then everything will start to slow down and I'll, you know, and I'll be, it'll be okay. And I won't, you know, I'll be fine. And I realized that that corner just wasn't going to come mm. because I needed to take a mental break mm. so that I could just not be thinking 18 hours a day or 15 hours a day or whatever mm. it was. Um, and I did it. And the response that I got back was just, I mean, overwhelming, overwhelming. The number of people that said like, wow, thank you for doing that as a senior exec saying that because it, it, it personifies mm. how important mental health is and that the senior leadership isn't afraid to say... You know what? I want to give my brain a rest. When we when we injure ourselves physically, mm. you know, we break something or we sprain something, we give it a rest. Mm. But we don't think about giving our brain a rest. Yeah, yeah. Don't have a great brain, but the little brain that I've got, I want to preserve. So <laughs> we do have a real culture of overthinking, overworking. Uh, yeah, I feel like my brain is constantly turning things over the whole time. Um, what are so we have like a quick fire round at the end of the show uh-huh. where I ask, where I ask every yes the same kind of questions. Um, what are three healthy foods you couldn't live without? That I couldn't live without? Yeah. Three, uh, three favourites. I love spinach, surprisingly. Okay. So I, but I like to mix it up with, with that. So I do like spinach. I've started to really like porridge and I used to think, oh, I don't like that. But I really like that in the winter as a, as a healthy start to the day because it makes me feel good. And the other thing is drinking lots of herbal teas, which I, you know, vowed several years ago I'd never do. But I think now I'd struggle without them. So, yeah, those are probably the three. Amazing. And what uh, what are the few things that you practice on a daily or weekly basis for your mental health? Oh, I, I, I do physical exercise. I really do. I mean, I, I will, as I said, I will go and do some Pilates or I will go to the gym. Um, I'll try and do it with somebody because then that, that is another sort of, uh, discipline for me to make sure that I do it. Mm. And I get to hang out and talk to some cool people and find out some new things. So um, that I can't do there. And at the weekends, I like to, as I said, I do like to sort of try and switch off and go out, try a new restaurant, try some new things, find out a new place. So, yeah, those, those are kind of things I like to do. And finally, what makes you happy at work? Ah, oh, the passion. Like passion, I get happy when I'm uh, when I'm doing stuff that I love. So if I'm working with people, and I often find that um, I'm happiest when I'm working with people that I have the most um, difficult challenge mm. or the biggest uphill battle to convince them that this is something that I really believe they should be doing. Um, I get passionate about that. Mm. I get passionate about seeing people be the best that they can be. Mm. And I've been lucky and fortunate enough to work with some amazing talent from around the world, often really young talent, and just watch them stretch and grow. And that's an amazing feeling just to watch it. I can imagine it's very rewarding. Yeah, it really is. I wouldn't change my job for the world. Oh, yeah. that's amazing yeah. to hear. If people would like to find out more about you, um, where can they find you online? Uh, www.dareworldwide.com is my website. They can find me on LinkedIn or they can find me at Twitter at twitterreta underscore Trahan. Thank you so much for joining me. You've been the most fantastic guest. I've loved it. Thank you very much for having me. Great office, as I said. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. to this week's episode of Work Happy. If you're looking to work happier, book your free week at any work-life space at work.life forward slash free trial. Thanks for listening and don't forget to share, subscribe, rate and review. We'll see you next time and until then, work happy. Candy Store production for Work Life, hosted by Angelica Malin and produced by Van Connor. T-shirt weather by Poddington Bear appears under Creative Commons 3.0 with podcast recording facilities in partnership with Work Life. Visit work.life for more information. You can find us at candystoreproductions.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.